the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland. Welcome to The Sleeper on the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotographs contributor Brett Talley. And today we'll be discussing a pair of injured catchers and a surprising demotion in Oakland. And huge news. I really wish that we had Eno on the broadcast. Although, Brett, I love you too. Maybe we could have had both of you. The most interesting player alive today, it's not Yasiel Puig. He's fallen from the top search for player Amazing news. He's now number four. And it's funny because on Thursday, I asked Eno, when will Puig not be the number one search for player? When will we be allowed to speak about him again? And sure enough, the influence that our podcast has never ceases to amaze me. (laughs) So number one as the most search for player on Fangraphs today is actually Ivan Nova. Pretty surprising, but an intriguing character to talk about nonetheless. 308 ERA over 10 starts and 73 innings. How good do you think he will be the rest of the way, and will he continue to provide solid mixed league value? Um, I've always been a fan of Nova. I liked him a lot last year. I remember there was a little stretch where in interleague he had a couple of uh, uh, games in National League ballparks, and uh, he did okay in those games, and I stuck with him, and then he had a rough end of the year. But Basically, he just got bit by home runs last year, as far as I can tell. He, he wasn't as good as the ground ball rate, but this year he's back to up over 50%, swinging strikes way up, uh, strikeout percentage is 24, league average walk rate. So the skills look like they're there to me. Um, so I like Nova, and he's also you know gone from more of a four-seamer to a sinker this year, so that looks like it's helped. Uh, maybe that's a reason he's keeping the ball on the ground more and keeping the ball in the park more. But the one concern I have is that the Yankees have the highest average WRC plus for opposing lineups the rest of the way. So the schedule may be a little tough, but I, I like Nova a lot. I'm curious. How did you end up calculating that? Did you go through like manually every single team's schedule the rest of the way and and then add up all the opposing WRC plus? Yeah, what I did is I just made one column in Excel with every game they had left and then put the team's WRC plus next to all of them. That way I could weight it for how many times they played each team and then just averaged it that way. Damn. That's some good work. But, of course, I mean, that looks at every single team that the Yankees play, not necessarily Nova's opponent. So it's possible that Nova might be luckier and has uh, an opposition WRC plus uh, lower than that. Or, of course, he could be unlucky and he can have a, a higher than the team. Right, that was one flaw with it, but it was just going to take me too long to do it. Plus, even if I had, I can't count on, I don't know if some teams are going to go every fifth game or every fifth day, you know. And, and I don't know if the schedules would have stayed the same for the next 55 games. Right, that probably just would have been too much work that's just not worth it. Right. But good work nonetheless, and, and that is interesting because taking quality of the opposition into account is not something that we really look into, but over just two months of the season when a lot of teams are playing two-star pitchers and playing the matchups just to make up ground and strikeouts and wins, that's really important. 
And uh, I, I, I know that we spoke about Nova, not we as in me and you, but probably Eno, uh, weeks ago when he returned from his injury. And uh, we noted that his velocity was up a bit. He was throwing his curveball more. And his skills were really intriguing. And, and basically, he's done exactly what we were expecting him to do. Unfortunately, I don't own him in any leagues. I was unable to actually pick him up. But he's doing exactly what we thought. So everything is looking really, really good with Nova. And the surprising thing, though, is that if you look at his minor league stats, his strikeout rates were never good. So you kind of wonder where these strikeouts came from and how they suddenly have appeared in the majors if they weren't there in the minors. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the swinging strike does back it up, but um, that's sort of come out of nowhere this year. And we're only talking, what, 70 or so innings, so maybe that's a little bit of an anomaly. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that trended back down towards, you know, more closer to league average, maybe 20 percent. Yeah, I mean, everything does support the surge in strikeout rate. You just don't see it that often. Uh, Walk rate, anecdotally, is probably the easiest skill for pitchers to improve where you see the minors, they have control problems, and then all of a sudden everything clicks. You see Matt Harvey is a a prime example of that Mm -hmm. this year. Jeff Samarja also has... Uh, showing much better control recently in the last year or two than he has uh, previously. And so pitchers, it's just easier for them to improve their control than suddenly enjoy strikeout rate spikes. So you don't see this often, but everything points to this being pretty much legit and Ivan Nova being uh, a pretty valuable pitcher no matter the league format. Yeah. All right, let's move along to a pair of injured catchers. First off in St. Louis, uh, it was last week, Yadier Molina was placed on the DL with a, a knee problem. And then today, Salvador Perez, I don't know what happened here because it kind of seemed out of nowhere that suddenly he has a concussion and he was placed on the seven-day DL. And it seems like with concussions, players aren't on the DL for only seven days. They don't, it's not seven days and they're back. It seems like it ends up being a couple of weeks, like Dominic Brown, for example. Right. And so both owners of Molina and Salvador Perez – gotta find somebody to replace them and catcher is tough especially if you're in a two-catcher league it's tough to find somebody worth anything so brett do you have any replacement options for fantasy owners to consider uh yeah first off as far as like where what kind of guys we're talking about i I just looked quickly at the espn uh, ownership percentages and there's 13 catchers that are owned in 65% or more and then no the next the 14th most owned catcher is 25% so there's a huge gap so I think it's sort of obvious what kind of names we're talking about here yeah I would assume that the the ESPN default league has got to be a one catcher 12 team league which is why the 14th catcher is so right. unowned I mean if you look at CBS leagues which I believe the default is a two catcher league basically the top 20 25 guys are going to be owned in more than 50% of leagues. Right. Well, I guess if we're talking, uh, you know, not a two-catcher league, I'd, I'd have to throw out names like Jason Castro or maybe Russell Martin because uh, he's got a little speed. He does a little bit of everything. Um, if you had to go a little deeper, I'm guessing Devin Mezzarocco is also owned in two-catcher leagues. Um I mean, maybe if you get down to somebody like Wellington Castillo, even he's probably owned a two-catcher. So if you're in two-catcher, I don't know what you do. But um, in, in one-catcher leagues, those names I mentioned, Castro will get you a little power. Um, if you have two roster slots, which I, I, you know, it depends on how many bench slots you got, but somebody like Castro and, uh, I don't know, Mezzarocco actually, 
I mean, you could probably catch one of those with a favorable platoon matchup each day. Or maybe Salty, since he's better from the left side, two lefties. Yeah, Mezzarocco is an interesting name because he was a, a big-time catching prospect. And he, he didn't do anything last year. Obviously, he didn't get much of a shot in 2011. But now he's getting to play pretty much every day with Ryan Hannigan on the DL. But Hannigan should be back soon, which is going to cut into Mezzarocco's playing time. But Mezzarocco is uh, performing a lot better this year, showing slightly better power, but still not the level that most expected of him. I mean, 158 ISO is definitely lower than he was expected to produce at the major league level, though his home rubber fly ball rate is good. Uh, makes decent contact, takes a walk. So mm-hmm. he looks to be like a, a guy that, yeah, I mean, if he's available and at least until Hannigan returns, that he can be decent. He's also obviously in a good ballpark and in a good lineup. Now, personally, I actually am in this position. I have Yadier Molina in the Tout Wars 15-team mixed league. And a 15-team two-catcher league mm-hmm. is serious stuff where there's nobody on free agency as a catcher. Yeah. So... This is an on-base percentage league, and I'm, I'm going to say this name in the hopes that nobody in my Towers League is actually going to be listening for the rest of the day, but George Kataris, yeah, he's a guy who's actually going to be replacing Salvador Perez and should be playing pretty much every day, and you might laugh because the guy is batting 172, but get this, he's got a nearly 21% walk rate, his on-base percentage is 354. And he's got an ISO during his career of 200 and a nearly 15% home run fly ball ratio. So this guy's got power, and he's got a great walk rate. So he's actually going to be a positive in on-base percentage. So he's actually going to be valuable in OBP leagues. So, yeah, no question. Is that that's do y'all do Fab in tout? Yes, we do. How much uh, money do you have left? Uh, enough. Okay. <laughs> so I mean. Yadier Molina should probably be back in uh, a week or two. So it's not like I need really a, a long-term replacement here. But I will bid a couple of bucks just to ensure I get Kataris because I don't want to be going with basically a zero in the slot. And I think Kataris could actually provide value rather than just be somebody who gets a bat and might get an RBI or a run here and there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, batting average leagues, I can understand not really wanting to take the chance. But in a short-term situation, in one week or two weeks, anybody can hit 300. So even George Kataris can hit 300. So I I think it's something that you take his power and you hope that the batting average, he gets a a couple of hits. And and even if he hits a a couple of home runs, those are hits. (laughs) Those themselves are going to boost the batting average. So he's my deep league pick. And... If you're an owner of those two catchers, just cross your fingers that obviously they're back soon. Speaking of injuries and demotions, uh, well, we weren't speaking of demotions, but the injuries related to the demotion. And Tommy Malone got demoted. Now, still not sure if this was just a, a timing thing because Roto World had mentioned that he should return when the A's need a fifth starter on August 13th. But, I don't know, this doesn't normally happen in the middle of the year where one of your five starters just gets demoted. Is, right. this, is there any chance here that this is a, a long-term demotion and Sonny Gray or Brent Anderson takes his place? I'm not real sure. I mean, it's kind of curious. He hasn't been – Malone hasn't been as good this year ERA-wise as he has been the last two years. But, 
I mean, he's essentially the same guy. Had a little bad luck with the homers, I guess. Um, I, I presume that the A's know that he's still roughly the same guy that he's been. So, you know, they kind of uh, jerked Dan Straley around earlier in the year. He was up and down a little bit, and maybe that's just what Malone's going to go through. I, I'm not real sure what's going on here. Yeah, I, I don't really understand either because he still makes for a decent number four or five guy in the AL. Mm-hmm. So, but what about the Sonny Gray prospect? He was ranked number two in the preseason by Mark Hewlett in the organization. And uh, he did get a chance, uh, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, he was up and uh, pitched in relief, pitched very well in relief. But obviously, he's back down at AAA in the starting rotation. So there is a chance that he gets called up to make a start. The guy throws in the mid 90s and. Uh, you know, one of their top prospects. I mean, is he a guy that might be worth a speculative ad? I don't know. I actually saw this guy pitch in Midland in summer 2012, I guess it was. Not that I'm a scout, so there's nothing to take from that. But um, I kind of kept up with him. He's not a huge strikeout guy, or at least he wasn't in double A. And they've sort of come around in triple A. So I'm, I'm not quite sure if he's going to be a 20% plus strikeout guy if he's, you know, if he was up for a while. Um, the control seems to be about average. Uh, I don't know. He's not a super exciting name to me. I mean, anytime you have a guy in Oakland in that park with that defense, they're worth a look. But he's not a guy I'm, I'm wild about. You know, I am willing to bet that that AAA strikeout rate this year of nearly 24% is more the real Sonny Gray than the 15% in AA last year. Only because you see a lot of the times they're hard throwers in the minors who are basically fastball guys who their breaking pitches, their off-speed pitches aren't that good. And so early on, they're just not striking out hitters. But as soon as things click for them, mm-hmm. that fastball velocity plays up and it, it leads to a, a whole host of more strikeouts. And I think we see that a lot where organizations are willing to take chances on guys that throw hard just because they think that the strikeouts will come. And that may have been what happened with Sonny Gray. Right. So I'm thinking that that's pretty legit. But Brent Anderson, I mean, is he really going to come back and go to the bullpen? The only thing I can think of is that he's so freaking injury prone, made of like glass, that they want to pitch him as little as possible and as few times as he gets to the mound just to preserve his body. I don't know what else to say. I can't imagine him as a reliever, though. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they have a little depth in the rotation, so maybe that's the best place to use him, at least this year. I mean, that sort of makes sense a little bit. Brett Anderson, 2014 deep sleeper? <laughs> Not for me. I mean, <laughs> I just don't see how you could ever count on him to stay healthy at this point. Well, you'll be sure that he ends up on one of my teams because I'm a sucker for <laughs> Brett Anderson every single year, no matter how many times he's broken my heart, and he's always going to end up on my team. So next well, it's probably not going to be any exception. If it's a buck or a last round, that's fine. Yeah, well, at this rate, given how much time he's missed and yeah. when he's pitched his ERA, 621 on the year, I'm sure he'll be a reserve round pick in a 12-team mixed league. Right. But, I mean, I still love his skills. He's a, an extreme ground ball guy. Uh, when he's right, his control is fantastic, and he's got a, a decent enough strikeout rate. So, and he pitches in a great ballpark and on a pretty good team. Yeah, I mean, he could absolutely have value. I'm just, I'm not going to hold my breath. <laughs> I think we've all learned by now not to really uh, 
give much optimism for Anderson staying healthy and actually providing value. But it it wouldn't shock me though if you know there's one year, whether it's next year or 2015, one year where he managed to, manages to get to 175 again and return some huge value for whoever decides to take him. And then he goes for twenty dollars the following year, and then he gets thirty <laughs> innings. That's right. That's right. And he, and he breaks the heart of all of his new fantasy owners once again. <laughs> all right, let's move along to Los Angeles, where one of the beneficiaries of Albert Pujols perhaps being out for the year is Cole Calhoun, who I have to admit, I had no idea who this guy was before he was called up. But he has a pretty cool name. And <laughs> Cole spelled with a K. You can't beat that. I like that, yeah. So he's actually 25 years old right now, so he's not exactly a prospect. But he does seem to possess a, a nice little power-speed combination, and he's made, made really good contacts at AAA, above-average walk rate. So his skill set looks pretty intriguing to me. I mean, is he somebody worthy of a look even in shallower mixed leagues? Yeah, I'm with you. He's got the power-speed, uh, can take a walk, doesn't strike out too much. Um, I know we're talking – very small sample size in the majors, but he's hitting quite a few line drives early on. So, you know, that lineup's still good. It won't be as good with, without Pujols, but it'll probably still be above average. There's some run ribby potential there, as you mentioned, power speed. So, yeah, I think he's worth a look if you're hurting for an outfield, you know, like your fifth outfielder in a 12-teamer maybe. Yeah, I mean, the one downside is it seems like he's probably going to be platooning with Colin Calgary. Right. And Colin Calgill is also a fantastic name. They got a damn good <laughs> platoon in terms of names there. So yes. uh, Calhoun is actually a lefty, so he's probably going to get benched uh, against lefties with Calgill facing those lefties. And, and that's always tough because if you're not in a daily transactions league, I mean, that's basically like 100 at-bats that you're not getting that's really going to hurt the run and RBI potential. Right. And, and that's just not... It's not fun. I mean, I've, I've had a bunch of those kind of guys. I've had Travis Hafner, Will Venable, Lonnie Chisenhall on my teams this year. Andy and, Dirks. Uh, who? I had Andy Dirks in yeah, that situation. Yeah, and having well. to always, if you're in a weekly league, having to always look at the schedule, count up how many lefties and be like, great, he's only going to play four times this week. What do I do? Do I start somebody clearly inferior just because he's going to get six or seven games? Mm-hmm. So that's always frustrating and, and difficult to deal with. Daily leagues... Yeah, I think he's definitely worth it, but it's still tough in weekly leagues. In, in a deeper league, I think he's definitely worth a shot, especially in on-base percentage league because it looks like he should have a pretty good on-base percentage. He was at 431 in AAA this year. Hmm. So, but I don't know. Mixed leagues, I probably would pass and uh, if it's a weekly league at least. But daily leagues, I think he's worth taking a shot on. Yeah. All right, let's move along to the Mariners' bullpen. And at this point... Yeah, oh, there goes my sleeper candidate. Well, he's probably going to get bit up in all of my leagues uh, tomorrow. So we were going to talk about the Mariners' bullpen because Tom Wilhelmson was once again demoted from the closer role. And I was going to say, Danny Farquhar, he got the save last night. It was a four-out save. And sure enough, he got the save again today, so he's probably no longer under the radar. Right. Can we just – all these managers have to stop – saying they're going to use a committee because none of them ever do that's all that's what you hear at first and then they instantly pick a new guy yeah this is true although houston 
I have a feeling it's going to be a committee just because everybody stinks in that bullpen. So it's going to be like, let's give the right. guy a first try. Oh, he blew it. All right, we'll go to the candidate number two. Oh, he blew it. And it would be like eight different guys getting a chance just because they all stink. That's true. That's true. But what do you think in Seattle? Do you think Farquhar actually finishes his season with the closer role? I mean, remember, he does have a 509 ERA at the moment. Right. Um, I mean, I just, before we started, I quickly looked up everybody in that pen, and he's got the best XFIP. He's got a huge strikeout rate. Um, he walks some guys too, but we've seen closers, you know, have success with a high walk rate that goes along with a high strikeout rate. Um, I don't know much about this guy. Uh, looking back at his AAA numbers, I mean, it looks like he's got the strikeout arm. The control seems to be below average. But, you know, if you can miss bats, you, you can make that work for a little while in a bullpen. So he's worth a shot if you need saves. Yeah, you know what? Looking at looking at his Fangraphs page, he's got like the longest Fangraphs page I've ever seen <laughs> for a guy who's only been in the major leagues two seasons. Yeah, well, he's been, I guess he's bounced around quite a bit. Yeah, and he's been between different levels in the same year. It's, oh my, Blue Jays to the Athletics to the Yankees to the Blue Jays. No, he probably went from the Blue Jays to the Yankees to the Athletics to the Mariner. Wait, so he was on the Athletics <laughs> and then the Blue Jays. I am so confused. Was he in the Blue Jays and the Athletics and the Blue Jays again, then the Yankees and the Mariners? I wonder – I don't know if this is the case, but I wonder if some of the AA, AAA affiliations are weird on the site. Like if teams switched, like City switch. Because I know at one point Oklahoma City and Corpus, the AAA clubs for the Rangers and the Astros switched from being the affiliate of one club. And for a while that was messed up on the site. So I wonder if there's something like that going on on there. Yeah, that could be the case. Uh, clearly he doesn't have great control. His first strike percentage is down in the low 50s. And one thing that we always look for in potential closer candidates are, do they have any platoon splits? Like, can they get lefties out? And so far this year, he's actually been better against lefties than righties. So he's been great against righties in terms of skills, though his WOBA against is 353. But that's because his bad bip against righties is 514 on the year. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty ridiculous. Uh, I mean, I guess it's not that undeserved. His line drive rate against is nearly 31% against them. Right. So he's serving up some fat pitches. Yeah, that's a weird line. He's got 58 ground ball versus left, 27 versus right. But it looks like he can strike out lefties too. So, I mean, that's a good sign. Yeah, um, he's also got 27 strikeouts in just 15 innings against right-handers. So he's... Been pretty dominant. So, yeah, I mean, unless the control bites him in the butt, then he certainly got the strikeouts to succeed as a closer. So I would definitely look to adding Farquhar and the thinking that he's going to be the closer in, until he blows it. And, I mean, Wilhelmson's control issues keep popping up. So I don't know. I, I, don't, I really would be surprised if he got another shot anytime soon because, I mean, this is the second time that he's got demoted. And it's not like he's just going to wake up one day with elite control like Cliff Lee or something. Right, right. Uh, those control issues are going to be there for the rest of the season because he just doesn't have great control. I hope Farquhar doesn't have the same issue. I mean, 
it wouldn't shock me if he struggled a little bit too. But yeah, I just I just added him in the one league where I can make ads without having to bid. So yeah, well, I just checked the league as well, and he was actually added at like two fifteen last night in the morning. Mm. So I was a little too late there, but. Let's move along. Oh, actually, before we move along, doesn't Danny Farquhar's name kind of remind you of Shrek? It reminded me of something. I've been trying to place it. Maybe a movie from the 80s that I can't quite. I'm looking up Shrek right now, and I feel like his name was Lord Farquhar. Oh, yeah, that's right. It is. Lord Lord Farquhar was his name. Farquhar. Ah, okay. Farquhar. So I'm gonna I'm gonna start calling him Lord Farquhar. I like that. That's my nickname that I have come up with, and we'll make it big. I'll even make a, a hashtag campaign, and everybody when they call him Lord Farquhar, it's gonna come back to me knowing that I came up with that name, and I'm gonna be really famous. <laughs> All right, let's move along to New York, where Curtis Granderson is finally back from his second extended disabled list stint and the latest injury he's recovering from is a broken finger and of course earlier in the year he had a fractured forearm he lasted all of like two games before getting injured again so i'm sure yankees fans in the whole organization is crossing their fingers that he stays on the field a little longer this time and maybe makes it through the rest of the season without landing back on the dl now are you worried at all that his production is going to take a hit just because of all the injuries that he's coming back from? Not really. I mean, I think he may be a little rusty. Might take a little bit of time. I mean, I, I sort of feel like Victor Martinez needed a little time to get his timing back earlier this year. But um, no, I'm not too worried. I think he's going to be what Curtis Granderson is. Not a lot of average, a lot of power. And, you know, that's what I have him on the DL. I've had him on the DL for the whole year, basically, on one team, and I need the power, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I mean, they mentioned on the broadcast that hitters usually need about 50 at-bats just to get their timing back when yeah. they've been out for a while, and I don't think Granderson has gotten that yet. Certainly hadn't gotten that in the minors. He's only been back for a couple of games so far, and so he's probably not, although he has homered since returning, so that's obviously a good sign. So in terms of timing, it might take him a, a week or two to really get back into the swing of things. But what about his power? I mean, the forearm, the finger, you got to think it it could potentially affect his power, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I feel like you hear more about that with like a wrist. Yeah, you know? so, I have to get Jeff Zimmerman on the program. Yeah, he, he'll tell you. So I don't know, uh, maybe, but... I, 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 I'm not qualified to tell you whether I think it's going to have an impact or not. I, at this point, I don't really know that it matters. I mean, he's 100% owned, so if you've been holding on to him, you just have to throw him out there, and you can't trade him. He doesn't have enough value at this point, so just throw him out there and hope he's okay. Do you think he maybe gets some extra days of rest or maybe gets benched against lefties? Now, I know he's obviously hit lefties a lot better the last couple of years, but the team has a lot of guys, uh, I guess right-handed hitters, that Vernon Wells, well, he, Vernon Wells kind of stinks right now, but they have a couple of guys that could potentially hit lefties, and especially when they're facing a lefty because they're predominantly left-handed in that lineup. Right. And so especially when a lefty reliever comes in and they have like eight lefties in a row, so you just wonder if he's playing, he might lose you know, a couple of bats here and there. I know, you know, they're so desperate for offense there, though, 
that I'm I, I'd be surprised if you know, Girardi could leave him out of the lineup all that much. Yeah, I pretty much agree. I was basically playing devil's advocate here because I <laughs> I don't really think that he's ever going to leave the lineup either. I mean, he's proven that he can hit lefties in recent seasons, so I don't think that he is going to be benched at all. And he, I would assume he's going to play every single day. Yeah, if he does go on a tear, like in the next two weeks, when's the deadline, trade deadline? Like two weeks from now, basically? Oh, that waiver, the other trade deadline? No, I'm sorry, I meant the fantasy trade deadline. I think... In a lot of leagues, it's the 17th. That really depends on the league. I know my personal home league is actually the end of August, uh, which reminds me, I don't know if I actually changed it in the Constitution. I should probably look into that. But, yeah, I would think that it actually is different in every league. In labor, in towers, I don't even know. I should look into that. But, uh, yeah, it's probably sometime in August for the majority of leagues. Yeah, well, if if – you know, if it's coming up in a week or at the end of the month and he goes on a little tear, I don't know. I might think about seeing – what the market for him is. All right, let's move along to Milwaukee, where another guy is set to come off the deal shortly, and that's Aramis Ramirez. And it's really pathetic because I traded for Aramis Ramirez, and he literally went on the deal like four days later. Yeah. <laughs> so that really sucked for me, and I have been playing Lonnie Chisenhall, who maybe has three hits in the last three weeks for me. <laughs> So it's been pathetic since I traded for Aramis Ramirez. But after him saying that his knee hasn't been healing as quickly as he wants, suddenly it's like the following day, oh, Ramirez is going to be activated at the end of the week. Oh, okay, that's good news. So that's the news that he might be activated uh, this coming weekend and DH and, and some of the AL parks. So he's obviously, even when he was on the field, his power was down. What do you expect of him from him from the rest of the year? Do you think that he's going to rebound at all, or are you worried that the knees is going to affect him all season long? Again, I don't, I don't know, and I, to some degree, I'm not totally sure it matters because he's also 100% owned. If you need him and you've held on to him, you've done that for a reason because you have to throw him back out there whenever he's healthy. Because your other option is Lonnie Chisenhall. <laughs> so, you know. I'd like to think that he'll continue to be a decent hitter, you know, with a little bit above league average average and some pop. But whether he is or isn't, at this point, it doesn't matter, really. You're just going to have to take a shot and hope for the best. Well, if you need a third baseman, do you consider buying low? I mean, obviously you're going to say, oh, it depends on how low it actually is. But, I mean, if, is he somebody that – you would expect somewhat of a rebound thinking that maybe he's feeling better now after uh, several weeks off. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of how badly I'd have to need a third baseman to, to make a bid on him. I guess if my third baseman was... Trevor Booth? Yeah, okay. Yes, I'd, I'd take a shot on Ramirez and see if I could buy low there. All right, well, I mean, here's my thought on Aramis Ramirez is that his power was down, but if you look at his average distance of his fly balls and his home runs it's at 288 feet now that is down from last year's 298 but it does suggest better than a, about a nine percent home run per fly ball rate and his iso is just 144 so the 288 feet is still well above the league average so you would think that his power would have rebounded even if he hadn't missed that time and the thinking is that maybe he's healthier now so i am a little i am pretty optimistic on his power uh also, an issue is his strikeout rate. It's 
actually the worst of his career. The, basically the worst since he debuted in 1998. But his swinging strike rate is right in line with what he's always done. Same as his contact percentage. So I'd have to think that his strikeout rate is going to improve. So, yeah, obviously I'm biased and I'm rooting for him. But I am pretty optimistic and I do think that he makes a pretty good buy low, especially given how disappointing he's been and his injuries. I think you'd be able to get him pretty cheaply. And in fact, he was actually dropped in my 12-team mixed league sometime last week. And he's still on free agency because people expected him to be out for a while longer. Right. So, you know, I'm going to be putting in a bid for him tonight, hoping I get him and then you know, making a trade if I do. To open up a spot for him. But yeah, I'm pretty optimistic and I still think that he can have some value in even 12 team mixed leagues. Let me ask you a, a philosophical fantasy baseball question here. I, I sort of feel like a jerk whenever I make a buy low offer for these injured guys, you know, as soon as we hear good news or as soon as they make it back. Because you because feel like the guy who has been stashing him on the DL all this time, and they're finally like, Finally, I'm getting him back. Oh, now you want to trade for him, right? Is that what you exactly? Think? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. So, so what exactly is the question? Well, I mean, do you do that? Because sometimes I hate it when people send me that kind of trade offer, and it makes me angry. So I probably <laughs> wouldn't make that offer for Aramis at this point. Yeah, I do it because I think one of the flaws fantasy owners have is that they're so worried what their trading partner is going to think. Seriously, the worst that can happen is decline your offer. That's it. It's right. like you're going up to a girl and asking her out and you get rejected. It makes you feel bad. All they're going to do is reject your trade offer and then you'll find out how they feel about it. You don't know how they're going to feel unless you make the offer. So it can't hurt. And I think it's silly to always be – I mean we always get questions in the comments of our articles. Oh, do you think this is a fair trade? What should I ask for? Like, I don't know what's a fair trade. Make the offer, and if he rejects it, then it was an unfair trade. I mean, I, I can't predict what the other person is going to think. I don't. We all value players differently, which is why we play in these fantasy leagues. So I can't predict it. I mean, Aramis Ramirez, at this point, the fact that you're making any offer for him, you're willing to give him any player that's startable for Aramis Ramirez, that might mean that, that the owner is like, oh, yeah, if you're willing to give me anybody – Heck yeah, I'm going to take him, especially because you have to uh, remember, in a shallower league, an owner who had Aramis may have picked up another third baseman or traded for one to replace him and right. may be happy with that third baseman. And then I didn't even need Ramirez anymore. Right. That's true. I shouldn't let my feelings get in the way. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, I have Kyle Seeger at third. And I also have – yeah, and my corner guys are, are all taken care of. So I don't technically need Aramis Ramirez. I would want to make another trade. So if I had Ramirez on my bench and somebody offered for Ramirez, then I would probably be willing to uh, consider the offer because I already have Kyle Seeger. So right. Right. I don't need another third baseman. So, I mean, that might be the case for a lot of Ramirez owners is that they're happy with the guy that is replacing him. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. So join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Brett Talley, uh, Mike Podhorzer, thanks for tuning in.